welcome to The Knowing Podcast. We're here to talk about healing, about insight, about cultivating and living from our own internal wisdom, and about the intention to live beautifully and compassionately as a human being during these times. We're really happy you're here. Well then, let's just get right into it. Good morning, Allison. Good morning. How are you? It's so nice to be here. Uh, you know, I'm good. I'm like definitely had a a moment, a, a awakening in the in my lineage. It said that you know when we get woken up at three or four in the morning, it's spirit, our own spirit, you know, our teachers, our ancestors wanting to talk to us. And and even my Buddhist teacher would say the same thing that you should get up at three and and meditate because there's this like clarity to messages that are going to come through in the experience and and I mean it always sounds like a really nice romantic idea like oh yeah I'm totally I'm gonna get up at three and I'm gonna be so zen and it's gonna be amazing and like I have a seven month old baby that's the last thing I want to be doing but this morning it was just this like super intense like you are not allowed to go back to bed and there was a lot of yeah just a lot of sadness like this like real raw I, I it I mean I, I guess I always experience my emotions and I, I think we all do this but maybe I'm um, spent more time kind of finding my own language around it but like I experience my emotions as like deeply visceral things like they're they're mm-hmm. not a mental not a brain-based kind of experience it's like in my body and it does feel just like I don't know like a, a rawness like a and not not like sore you know but just so maybe overwhelmed maybe just taking so much in I don't know how are you I I also had that experience of like not of of waking up and not being able to go back to sleep except for Hmm. I did not approach it like there was a split second was like well let me just go sit up and make some tea or sit up and whatever (laughs) and I was just like nope Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna be like grumpy and bitter about it and go lay on the couch (sighs) and toss and turn. Sometimes that's good too. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like "Mm, yeah there was a different approach there (laughs) instead of just Mm. fighting it. um, Oh I I got up and ordered a, a stove you know and some children's clothing I, I'm not saying that I got up and did anything like transformative mostly online shopping so yeah. slightly different than the deep meditation a, practice a little bit well, there's too many goddamn mosquitoes in this house you know like I can't sit and meditate right now it's just irritating so anyways sorry take over I, I also feel this this kind of sadness and I mean honestly I I think that the thing that I'm having the hardest time with in terms of the emotions that are coming up right now is that like in my meditation practice the thing that I'm being faced with the most I mean when I the 15 minutes that I meditate not when I'm waking up at three o'clock decidedly Mm -hmm. not meditating um but the thing that's been coming up a lot is just this kind of like really wanting things to be different and all things mm. like it's like I, I want to I, it just in general this kind of sadness over the lack of control and the lack of feeling like I have um, any kind of real choice in my life and it's like I know that's not true I know that 
I, I do believe that we co-create and I do believe that I have power. And then there is that like question of will, which it's like how much is like my will, thy will type of thing, which is something that I always bring up to you because it's a really tricky one where it's like mm-hmm. how to ride this wave and show up to do what you can to adjust the things you can, but also have like a deeper sense of surrender where it's like, I will do what I can and also accept that just things are the way we are. And it's like, I feel like, you know how sometimes you just go through like emotional times where you get the like, Mm -hmm. this is your life flashback. And it's like, oh my God, I can just like see moments where it's like, I wanted this family member to be different or, or this boyfriend to be different or, or if only I lived in this place, things would be different. And it's like, I, it never goes away, even though things do become different. It's just never not like this nagging, nagging thing. Along the same lines of what we were talking about in the last episode, you know, around um, this shame, this thing, this core sense of like wrongness that, you know, sort of carries, we all carry around within ourselves or it's sort of chasing us around all the time, right? And it's it's constantly, in a sense, um, I think moving us out of the present moment, you know, as as teachers have always taught throughout time around you know, the, the purposes and the, the magic of, of meditation is that it calls us into this moment, you know, and out of that habitual mental process of like finding fault in what he is now or like focusing on what might be or focusing on what was and, you know, actually saying, can I just be here and meet this moment with a quality of equanimity and, and presence mm-hmm. to the best of my capacity, right? And I mean, the difficulty in doing that is that we find in this moment that shame. We find in this moment all of these feelings that we don't want to feel. And oh, there's so many things that, as you we were talking about, came up for me, you know, around wanting something different, wanting something to be better, you know, whatever. Um, but I think often, and maybe this speaks to what I feel and what is happening in the collective right now and the collective um, experience, is that we are moving into something different. But in that, there is a death of what was. And we don't grieve things well. And we don't actually process letting go of something. We we kind of want our cake and eat it too. We want to hold on to what is here until it's like, you know, guaranteed that what is coming is going to be better, right? And then then maybe we'll go into it. But we've always got right. sort of one foot in another situation. Does that make sense? It totally Right, we we don't we don't leap, you know. And and Chagun Champa is the teacher from Shambhala. He said, you know, at some point the student warrior has to leap. And I often, you know, will say that to myself as I'm moving through my day to say, like, let go of what was, let go of of you know, I don't know, the, your past or your your old experience of whatever it is that you feel like needs to be different, and leap. But the challenge is, is that we don't leap into a sure thing. We leap into uncertainty. We leap into the unknown, you know, but it's that like the willingness to to do that that is required to like create something different. Otherwise, we tend to just perpetuate a very similar kind of experience for ourselves even as our life moves along, right? Yes. I, I don't know if I'm explaining that well. Does that ring true to you? Totally. Yes, where it's yeah. like it's like even picturing swinging vine to vine, eventually you will have to let go of the first vine. Right. But it's like you right. just never want to so you're kind of in this weird limbo and you stop your momentum 
Um, I read this article. But can that I ask you? Oh, can I ask you a question before you move on, though, Soriasen? Yeah. Just because what you just said, why don't we want to let go? Why don't we want to let go of the vine, you know, and, mm. and be in that uncertain space? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, aside from just not knowing is so scary, um, mm-hmm. I think that it's like, Oh, I, the devil, you know, I guess, where it's like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I know I don't want to stay on this vine forever, but I'm used to it. So it's like, I don't know what this mm-hmm. next vine really looks like. Is it, is it, is it maybe better, but is it also maybe worse? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think that that's the, the fear. Mm-hmm. And I don't the, know. I mean, it, you know, not to get too abstract, I suppose, but like if we, if we frame the vine that we're holding onto as like these structures and habitual like ways that we know how to navigate life, life being maybe, you know, like what happens to us, what we experience, but also like our internal experience, our emotions and stuff. Like we have this habitual way of dealing with our emotions, you know, which is not dealing with them a lot of the time or avoiding them in some way. Right. And so when we let go of those like habitual structures, you know, and say, okay, so now I'm not, I don't have anything to hang on to, right? And another quote that, again, Jumpa, sorry, we've co-opted the conversation. I want to come back to what you were going to say in a second, sorry. Um, But another thing he would say was that like, you know, the bad news is you are falling through the sky and you don't have a parachute. But the good news is there's no ground, And like when we let go, you know, and just go, okay, I'm going to let go. I'm not going to look for the next vine. I'm not going to look for, you know, how to find certainty in my next thing. But like actually, you know, what you used the word previously is surrender, like be in this present moment and like let go. Then, you know, we realize that we've been telling ourselves that we need to hold on to these vines when in reality we're we're quite safe. Like we're not going to, nothing's, nothing's going to take us out, you know, I mean, in terms of, you know, our emotional experience, we have the capacity to deal with all of these things, right? Right. Well, I think that that's, that free fall, it, it's just scary to be out of control. And that's actually, that's yeah. what I was going to mention in this article that they were, they were saying that scientifically, if given a choice between good news and bad news or not knowing People would rather bad news than no news. Amazing. Yeah. Free fall is this experience of losing control. To rewind and connect it to what you were saying previously, like, do we actually have control? Like, no, do we ever a, have control? That's like the part that feels the worst, that it's like, you know, having to make choices and and really show up knowing that, like, at the end of the day, you just can do your best, but you don't really have a say in, no. in virtually anything. I mean, and I don't mean right. that in like a but defeatist this, way. No, no, I, I don't hear it in a defeatist way because I think that actually entertaining that um, that truth that we don't have control is the gateway to happiness. Mm. You know, that we we have to almost rewind our own personal experience with the universe to a place where we start with, I mean, what Marianne Williamson has called like, you know, the the critical question of, do I live in a benevolent universe? Right. Right? Do I live in a universe where things are going to happen in a way that is 
somewhat sensical, you know, and I right. might not know what that is. I don't, might not know or be able to understand the patterns that are emerging or the occurrences that are happening. And, you know, our, our logical mind wants to know the reason, like when people say everything happens for a reason, and then we like madly search for what the reason is. You're not going to know what the reason in a specific way actually is most of the time, but that there's this, this, um, willingness to live from a state of faith, you know, mm -hmm. that you are part of the Tao of the entire system. And it's, it doesn't make mistakes. It never makes mistakes, you know, and that like, if we can rewind our own sort of mental tapes to that point to go, you know, okay, then everything that happens to me has to be of some benefit for me if I believe that the universe is a benevolent process. And I mean, whether we believe it or not, we're going to make that true, right? right? Whatever our answer is. And so, I mean, this is the basis of the knowing, the basis of like animal medicine is, you know, this indigenous wisdom that said, if something crossed your path, you know, it, it was supposed to, you, you and it, were drawn towards each other because it was supposed to teach you something right at that moment, right? And I mean, right. imagine, feel the peace that would come, Allison, if you didn't worry about making the right or wrong decision. You Oof. worried instead, you spent your intention on whether or not you were in alignment within yourself or not. That's it. Not right. whether or not you were like doing the right or wrong thing in the outside world. Like right. what would happen? I think that some of that comes with like feeling like I want to look back on my life and feel like I've done a, a certain kind of thing. And I think that the fear mm -hmm. of like ultimately being like, I'm just going to show up and trust what happens. It's like, I think there's some, this, this weird ingrained fear that's like, well, I'm going to wake up at 80 having not mm -hmm. done anything I mm -hmm. wanted to do somehow. Right. And yet, you know, <sighs> I've been thinking a lot about this concept of decolonization, right? Mm -hmm. And actually asking ourselves, like, what are the core structural beliefs of colonization? What are they, right? Like, and let's let's all, if if we're really serious about this, and I think we should and are be mm -hmm. serious about this right now, that we're going, okay, this is the basis of this very unhealthy society that we've created, you know, are these colonizing beliefs. What are they? Let's look at them clearly, you know? And one of them is this real sense of, like, doing something with your life, right? Like, where did that come from? You know, indigenous right. societies, people weren't like, oh, I need to, like, have this, you know, list of accomplishments <laughs> I've had right. throughout my life by the time I'm 80 so that I can look back and go, see, I was a productive, useful person. Like, this right. is this industrial complex mentality that's been imprinted in all of us that says you need to have done X, Y, and Z in order to be loved by this system, in order to have had any meaning whatsoever, right? Yes. And that, like, how do we, that is, that is such a sickening when we I think when we really look at it when I look at that thought and it's it's in me too it's in all of us mm -hmm. we all got imprinted with it I'm I'm I feel a little bit ill you know to think like that's how I'm going to assess my value and the value of other people and things and animals and everything like that's what the colonial structure does is it says okay let's all tally you up and we're gonna like value you based on accomplishments you know right but I think there's two sides to it, and I am by no means defending colonialism 
at all. <laughs> I don't assume so, you ever would. So let's just no. put that out there. But uh-huh. I feel like there is this there is this element where it's like, yes, I have I, I was supposed to do certain things in order to have lived a good life. But I think that the mm-hmm. tricky like backdoor fear is that it's like but there is also a thing as not living up to your potential that it's like you were Mm -hmm. put here to do something Mm -hmm. to to give a certain energy and so I think that there is this like fear of missing the boat that it's like maybe I was supposed to do something specific and and I Mm -hmm. somehow didn't fulfill my purpose and I think that's what feels Mm -hmm. scary Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, for sure. But I'd love, you know, there's maybe I can't exactly remember what you said specifically in the words, but um, you said something like, you know, what I have done in my life versus like the energy that I have offered or inhabited, or you mm. said something like that. Those, yeah. are, those are very different things, those right? And I think that yeah. this, this draws us into asking a question of like, what is a good human being? What is a human being who's achieved its their potential? Like you look at people who have quote unquote self-actualized, right? They're, I think there's 12 characteristics of a self-actualized person and they, um, they don't have a litany of accomplishments. That's not one of the 12 characteristics is that mm. it's like, oh, this person like graduated from this school and did this and blah, blah, blah. There's no mention of accomplishment. They are humorous. They laugh all the time. They're mm. deeply present. They're, you know, available to the moment that they find themselves in. They are generous. They are grateful. They have so-called um, peak experiences, you know, these experiences of, uh, you know, a very vibrant sort of consciousness where they're just in awe. They're, they're I mean, mm. you know, Jason Silva talks about awe all the time as like this, this thing that we need to cultivate and reclaim um, for ourselves. And that's what a human being who is at their quote unquote potential is doing right mm-hmm. is and so if we look at that and say well then we know what it looks like to be a a, a self actualized person can we practice those things instead of again you know falling trapped to the colonial sort of mindset of saying well no it's it's all about how much money you have and what you've accomplished and how many followers you have and blah blah mm-hmm. blah 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 all that other like external stuff right right I mean. We have, I think, uh, enough teachings to say, here's what a happy person looks like. The value of a human being has been co-opted by a a colonial society, right? To say, you know, you don't have any value unless you have external value. You have capital value or, you know, some sort of value in the eyes of other people, right? Right. Well, and it's like, and maybe that's why they feel so linked in some ways, because that's the fear that colonialism preys upon, which is like, we know that there is this innate desire to be as whole and full as we can possibly be. And so we get fed the idea that it's like, and to get that, you must be a CEO in a penthouse and have this car and this whatever, or, you know, I, I, I hear constantly like um oh you're so this you should do this or you're playing small in this way and so there is this mm-hmm. element that mm-hmm. it's just like oh mm-hmm. i'm i'm not doing and I, I don't have enough to show for whatever supposed gifts that mm-hmm. you might have and i feel like that's something that's really common for people right. 
Well, and I mean, it's, you know, this is a very, I love this topic because I think it, it, it comes up frequently with clients and I mean, just people in general, you know, we have this, we have this desire to live our potential, which I think is a very good desire. I think it's also a very like frustrating desire because what it sets up is this idea that we're never in the right place. You know, we're not doing what we should be doing. You know, we're always somehow lagging behind. So, I mean, I guess I am more of a kind of rewind to the beginning person than maybe I I even acknowledge that of like reaffirming and reassessing like what our core beliefs around life and what the universe is all about and how things are going to happen for us, you know, as like not us making things happen, not us like, you know, pushing and and putting ourselves out in the world and in the way that we feel like we need to, but um, working instead on, again, these inner experiences of alignment, mm-hmm. um, reassessing and reaffirming, you know, what a good, decent human actually is doing in their life and, and how they're showing up and practicing that on a daily basis. And I mean, I can say from my own personal experience that when I relinquish the sense of, okay, I need to like go be something in the world and instead focused on, I mean, the, the three shamanic tools that we've taught about or talked about before of practicing gratitude and blessing and compassion and doing that as like the the daily practice, you know, all the time, life continuously brings me different situations in which I can come to an, an, what feels like a new level of personal flourishing, you know, and, and flourishing within the collective too, and, and offering more to the entire system, right? It's, it's, we, I had this, um, someone said to me years ago that to anticipate, to try to anticipate where we're going to end up as individuals, to be like, okay, I know what's good for me and I should be doing this, right? Or I should be having this in my life, you know? And we're, we're doing that from this moment's perspective, right? We can't anticipate, we have no idea where and what we will be where we will be and what we will be doing in the future um, from right now's perspective. And that's what we're constantly trying to do, right? Is to try to say, oh, I know what I should have. I know what job I should be doing. I know, you know, right. what my life should be looking like. And that, again, is this fallacy of the ego mind to say, like, somehow you know <laughs> what like who you are meant to be, you know, in this whole system. Like how how do you know? Right. I don't know. You know, and and instead, can we externalize the the wisdom to what the system is bringing us? And I mean, Michael Singer's whole perspective on practicing active surrender, you know, where you say yes to what is and you go, okay, I'm going to practice my inner alignment stuff of gratitude and compassion and blessing. And I'm going to say yes to the opportunities that present themselves, right? right? And practice that instead of constantly trying to control and go, no, I think I should have more, or I think I should be doing more, or, you know, right. why don't I have this thing that this person has, right? Surrender is definitely the hardest thing. I mean, yes, it is. It's, And I think especially in moments like we're in right now where it's like everything mm-hmm. seems to be crumbling or not only, I mean, even from just like what we're surprised, supposed to prize the most, which is like our economic place, even that is crumbling. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in some ways I... 
I, I mean, I've definitely felt this in the past stronger than I feel it now, but it's still in there, which is like, I would be the most patient person in the world if I didn't also have bills to pay. And so <laughs> I, I think that there's, there's so many people who are out of work now and who, where it's mm-hmm. like, I feel, I mean, honestly, if I can say my, my true kind of gut, like concern about what's to come is that we're in this moment where so many people have lost their jobs and it hasn't really rippled out. So it feels collective. Like I think just individual people feel like they've like, you know, hit hard knocks, but it's like, there's so many people out of work that won't have jobs to go back to, um, that it really does concern me. Um, you know, how, how do we find our place when maybe we're worried so much about survival? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, this is, (laughs) we are living through the decay of a system, right? I mean, everyone, you know, we talk about wanting decolonization. We talk about wanting, you know, a reformation of all of these institutions. Like, it doesn't just slide into a healthier version of what was before, you know, in a very gradual, gentle way when the core beliefs that were informing that system were, they're not sustainable. They're not at all, right? right? And I mean, this is a terrifying system and situation that we are in. And there is so much grief, you know, and that, like, to meet this moment, as, as we've talked about a lot, you know, requires us to really be taking care of ourselves right now in order to sit with what is here in this moment, all of this grief, all of this anger, all of this anguish and and terror, you know, at like the not knowing, and then be able to consciously say, okay, so how do we, how do we do different? You know, if we are awake, if we are truly wanting to create something different, it can't be from a reactionary space. It needs to actually have this, this, you know, kind of core, evaluation of what our values need to be moving forward, right? And to me, it is going to be a lot more, and I'm already feeling it and experiencing it a lot more up here where we live, which is a very small environment, a lot more community-oriented engagement and a sense of supporting local experiences, right? Mm -hmm. I was talking to someone recently about, you know, you think about it, colonialization, imperialism, which is let's get bigger, and let's have more and be a bigger nation and have right. like larger and larger areas that we control. I mean, look at the basis of this whole mindset of the Roman Empire and, you know, like let's let's just conquer all these lands and then we're going to have this bigger and bigger and bigger economy. You know, that's that's not possible. You know, like when I used to live and work in the States um, and I was down in Miami, you know, I was talking to people in Miami and I was like, oh, I'm from Vancouver, you know, it's up by Seattle. And they were like, I don't know where Seattle is, you know, and <laughs> right. it's like, oh my God. Okay. Who teaches you people geography first and foremost, but you know, like no also, I'll that. well, yeah, but I mean, you know, like it's, it's the same as across Canada, like Halifax could not be more different than Vancouver and they're both special and beautiful in their own ways. But like, these are gigantic spaces of land and, and huge expanses of culture, different cultures, you know, like 
maybe we need to be looking at how do we support our local people, you know, and like help people right here, not worrying about, you know, this massive idea of what the Canada is, you know, and, and you you and I've talked about this of like getting involved with local politics and like doing Mm -hmm. things in a, on a smaller scale. And I, I think that, you know, when you see people struggling in your local environment, you know, because they've lost their jobs and stuff like the, the desire to work on food security or, or some sort of social program of some sort, like we, we can't, I think do that in a a local sense and worry about like the big idea of the country, you know, at the same time. And I think we tend to worry about the big stuff and not focus on what we can do right here. You know, right. Well, it's like, it kind of goes back to that trickle down in, in a, in a new way where it's just like, you know, and I, but I mean, that's a, that's the paradox is that both things are true. We do kind of have to do all of it. And it's that we're on, we're hanging on the two vines again. It's like we're in the middle. I can't yeah. commit all of my energy to my my community because I want to commit energy to, you know, the big picture. And it's it's very hard to right. to pick which one is is most helpful in each moment. It is. I think that in our future generations, you know, hopefully in our educational processes, we'll be, you know, teaching self-awareness in a different format and have different sort of structures in place to to get kids, you know, supported in, in going, okay, know yourself so that you know, you know, as we've talked about, whether or not sitting on some, you know, big political scene is is where you need to be you know and are you well suited to that like I I do know that there is a CL-sized niche in the world and my job is to inhabit it not to create what I think it is you know in in the same way that there is an Allison-sized niche there's a a salamander-sized niche and you know like a dog-sized niche that everything has its place and if we are paying attention to living in alignment, I do believe that the world says, here, here's your next step. Like, go here. Right. And and we don't have to worry about like, oh, am I doing enough? Am I in the right place, right? We worry about what is ours to control, which is, you know, our inside experience and how we're showing up in the world. And then life says, here, go, go into this next place, right? Which is, to right. me, surrender, right? We're not trying to manage what is going on, which is about 99% of our mental space, I think, most of the time, is like trying to tell other people how they're being an idiot, you know, and like how everybody else should be like doing something different and then how we are somehow disappointing ourselves and everything else by not doing what we think we quote-unquote should be doing, right? Yes, yes. My friend Janelle always says that to ask what's the next right step. Yeah. That you don't ever have to know the finish line. No, exactly. And that, you know, the what is said to have emerged um, in the consciousness and the, the sort of base consciousness of, of the colonizing sort of um, perspective and way of being in the world is... Um, was agriculture, right? And agriculture allowed us to start thinking about the future and started, uh, it allowed us to start accumulating wealth. Mm-hmm. And we stopped thinking about how do I, you know, kind of move with, roll with this system and how do I, I, I mean, it, it you know, is 
kind of it's beautiful in so many ways because it allowed us to create what we've created basically is that we we were able to store food we were not as susceptible to like the whims of nature i mean the planet is right. is not a comfortable place to exist right it it tosses people off you know constantly and certainly did in our ancestors times but we in doing that, we started thinking about the future, right? We started projecting our consciousness into a moment other than right now. And that created this this economic, you know, possibility, but it also created perpetual dissatisfaction. And so instead, like if we're going to decolonize our minds, we need to come into the present moment and say, what is being presented right now? I guarantee you that someone, some, some circumstance in your life is sitting right now going, can you... Can you love me? You know, can you give, be generous to me? And like, maybe that's where we need to be is not, you know, trying to conceptualize of like, whoa, the big stuff we should be doing, but like actually in the here and now watching that somebody is probably saying, hey, can you be generous? Can you offer me medicine? You know, as I believe that all people are medicine workers, right? And trust that it'll ripple out eventually. It'll take you where you need to go. I mean, the you know this this like conversation about free will. I love it, and I love the lack of certainty. I mean, you listen to somebody like Sam Harris, you know, who's like, "There's no free will," and <laughs> and other people who argue that there is. And I mean, it is this wonderful, nebulous, unanswerable question. Like, you know, I don't know what happens after life or after death, right? We we don't have answers, and and that's the great mystery in the indigenous tradition. You know, we we should be okay and and it actually is beneficial for our minds to um stop thinking that they're so goddamn smart and they have this like you know ultimate perspective on the universe we don't know we just don't know and so like not knowing is and not knowing if we have will i think is a, a really comfortable place for me to be because some days I really like the thought that it's like, oh, things are just happening. You know, I'm pretty sure that my gut bacteria are making more decisions about what I'm doing every day than I actually totally. am, you know? like, And that's actually true, right? You are not in control. So, like, even the question of, like, when you're making a choice to meditate, like, are you doing that? Or is that some, like, parasite that's living in your intestines, you know? like, And so... That, to me, rejoins us with the system, right? It puts us back in the garden, back into relationship with all it is to go, you know, maybe maybe my consciousness is is a trap, you know, this idea that, like, I have this, like, ultimate understanding and capacity to make choices and stuff. Like, maybe that's, that's a real uncomfortable and, and not good place to be existing in, you know, and maybe I can relinquish that sense and give will to whatever's presenting itself in this moment, you know, or give my will to it. And my job is to say yes, right? Right. Or in, as you've, we've talked about in, in circumstances where there are not okay things happening, you know, to, to learn how to say no, to learn how to right. be boundaried. I mean, these are two different things, the masculine and the feminine, right? The masculine is like, hey, uh-uh, I say no. And then the female is receptivity and saying, okay, I'm, I'm with this. I'm, I'm in this moment, right? And both of those things are necessary. And can you practice them both at the same time where it's like, I'm going mm-hmm. to enforce my will as much as I can, but also trust that I don't have any say over the outcome, maybe? Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Somewhat, but it's also, you know, there's there's many layers to it. I think we have to, if we say, I'm going to enforce my will, 
looking at the motivational structures, the informing perspectives of our will, you know, is it coming from a place of judgment and condemnation and righteousness, mm-hmm. then that's not actually will. That's just your wounded ego self, right? And that's, right. you know, I mean, you can say it's it's will, but it's it's not going to, in a karmic sense, it's going to get more of what you just put out, which is a, tr- a projection of, of woundedness, right? And we all do it, and that's right. fine. You know, I'm not saying that we can't or shouldn't do that. It's just to understand that when I when I talk about will, it's more, um, you know, it comes from an aligned space. It comes from the experience of, of, of knowing what is right and wrong for you and, and, you know, being aligned within yourself in that, like, taking care of your own shit kind of way. And then, like, giving people boundaries but not from judgment not from you know this sense of like oh you're a horrible person you know and how dare you do this like of just like no I don't put up with that shit you know and like that's not okay but we don't we don't really separate like a boundary isn't a severing a boundary is um I mean in biology they talk about like the semi-permeable membranes around a cell right mm-hmm. a cell has this capacity to take in and and let go and it's a constantly interacting with the environment right and it's constantly that's a healthy cell is that it's letting things come in and out uh, and it's got you know but it's got boundaries to not let shit in it's like I don't want that right. shit in here you, I'm <laughs> yeah. not letting that in and and it lets you know an adequate of, amount of, of things in and out so that the processes of the cell can still function right when we come from a wounded ego place and we set boundaries and be willful from that place we're he- setting up a very hard boundary where we're creating this like you are over there and I am over here that is not going to result in health for the cell because it needs to have a back and forth right and it's it's not it's not real right it's a fabrication of of our ego to say there's that person or that thing over there and I'm separate from it right right you know I I pulled um the rabbit chamomile card this morning Mm. before we hopped on and no pun intended that wasn't a rabbit joke (laughs) 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 it was that good that you would just come up with that it's amazing Oh my god, dad jokes! But um, no, I, good. I feel like that really sp- it speaks to what you're saying. Where it's like, here is an animal that literally wants to be eaten by everything, just about. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it wants to be eaten. Well, maybe it it's want like to. it's. I don't think it wants to be eaten, but it, I think it it could be just eaten. High yeah. probability that it will be eaten totally, by something. Totally. Um, and it's like, how does it have this kind of ability to still? go mm-hmm. out in the world to still explore mm-hmm. knowing that it's kind of like always a little bit got a, a target there mm-hmm. where it's like you know how do we go out and trust that it's like you know anything of any nature could happen to me at any time and I still won't be frozen mm-hmm. by it mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. is that balance of will it, for sure a balance of that feminine receptivity to just like these are the things we cannot control, you know. I mean, again, I know that people often 
have great discomfort with hearing the first noble truth in Buddhism, which is like life is suffering. Like it's it sucks. There's death. There's sickness. There's all these things. Like these things are gonna happen. This is like rabbit wisdom. You know, is like shit yeah. is gonna eat me, and it's gonna constantly try to eat me. And I don't really like rabbits. Don't even have like sharp teeth. They can like barely defend themselves. You know, they're fast and they're super right. clever. You know, but like their medicine is going make peace with that. You know, mm. stop trying to protect ourselves in in you know what feels like and I think what manifests is and I mean this with no judgment but like fairly neurotic ways you know of going oh I'm gonna just sequester myself from the outside world or I'm like gonna really polarize everybody and put the good people over here and the bad people over here and I'm gonna create these hard boundaries right these walls between me and the world and I mean to see that as like a very misapplied will energy, right? That yeah. that it, it it does trap us. You know that that's not that's not going to be a healthy or pleasurable life experience if we are blocked off in that way. You know, and so instead, making peace with this first noble truth of things are going to go wrong. You are going to die. Everyone you love is going to die. Everything is going to fall away. And you know, I, I mean. The, the Buddha said, you know, the problem is you think you have time. Mm-hmm. And in saying that, it was speaking to the first noble truth that if we don't make peace with death, we don't think about it. We don't think about, you know, the ultimate loss of everything that is amazing and beautiful in our life. And so in not thinking about it, we don't appreciate it. You know, we're not present to it in the same way. And right. and then I think we also set ourselves up to be willful in that way of like, you know, fear-based. It's fear-originated will energy, right? Which is going to only be harsh and hard and and really disconnected from the system. And, you know, in, in order to come back into connection and stuff, I, I, you know, when people talk about the loss of the divine feminine, to me, what they speak, what they're speaking about is this loss of surrender, this loss of the wisdom of indigenous peoples, which was, I'm not going to try to control all my crops so that I have extra money next year so I can buy the property next to me. You know, it was not a colonial attitude. It was a sense of, okay, how do I meet what is and take responsibility for what I can do with it or what I, how I can respond, you know, but I'm not going to try to dominate. I'm not going to try to dominate other people, the system, whatever, right? Like that's, that's that, you know, dysfunctional masculine energy, right? Mm -hmm. Which is all coming from a place of fear. Right. Well, I think that that kind of is what we get taught. I, as you say that, I recognize how much of what I use my will is to avoid discomfort and so it's like we work so hard not to you know get something but to avoid something that it's like I think Mm -hmm. even this kind of like overtaking of others is that it's like I'm using my Mm -hmm. will because I don't want you to do anything that ever makes me uncomfortable so I'm gonna try to dominate Mm -hmm. um and it's it takes a lot of strength to be like um this kind of naked warrior almost where warrior not warrior i can never whatever but um <laughs> it's kind of uh, but it's worried like, warrior sounds good you know um but it's like you know i feel strong enough within myself that it's like i don't need all this armor i don't necessarily need all these boundaries yeah. which is not a super popular idea because i feel like 
So much of what I read now in terms of psychology and and just optimization and betterment, it's all about like boundaries mm-hmm. and where do you start mm-hmm. and where do I stop and, and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, to actually be, as you say, this like membrane that is permeable, but I get to control mm-hmm. what comes in or out. It's like it takes such mm-hmm. deep trust in yourself. And it's like, how yes. do we work that muscle like that feels so atrophied? It does, yeah, and I mean, it, it it is atrophied through centuries of these structures that say that's not valuable. Like it's not it's it's not valuable for you to figure out how to make yourself strong on the inside. It's you know we we've been creating this sense of I mean a false sense of strength through you know how we show up in the world. These power structures, you know, the white patriarchal systems have sort of dominated for however long, right? What is strength? I mean, there's so many, there's so many big questions here today. I like this. Because, I know. <laughs> like, how, how do you get strong? And, and I mean, I know I repeat this to clients all the time, you know, and, and I think they're like, yeah, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, like, this, that's cool that you think those are, those are cute little tools. But if we practice compassion, gratitude, and blessing, it brings us into alignment. In any moment of your life, if you grab one of those tools, you will create that internal muscle. And done mm. over time and done repeatedly and, you know, also cultivating mindfulness and presence, you know, which is the, the meditative practices or any other of our mindfulness practices, um, we, we build those inner muscles so that the emergence of our healthy boundaries, and, and boundaries are important, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I, I experience myself, I think, as a naturally boundaried person, maybe, and so I, I can not uh, empathize as easily with, like, people who can't say no, because I'm pretty good at saying no, and I always have been. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I, I previously, historically, would more say, like, no, go fuck yourself, which was not maybe the best way to do it, but... <laughs> Extra I've always been pretty yeah, totally totally I've, I've been removing the go fuck yourself gradually you know but um, the no happens easily for me you know and so yeah I, I don't experience the the difficulty in doing that but I do know and work with people all the time who like have a really hard time saying no and that is very very important but you know the it takes strength to do that when you've not taught that you were even, you know, allowed to have your own. And that's a healthy boundary, right? The cell membrane still is a boundary. It is right. a, a fluid boundary. It's letting things in and out, but it's still a membrane. We still have to have this general sense of like, this is this is me. I mean, this is the, the complexity of being a spirit, which is a little bit of you know, the whole, we are somewhat separate, you know, but we're not at all, right? We're, we're still connected. We are with the whole being or sorry, we, we are a soul within the larger spirit. Mm-hmm. And so we still need to know what our, our soul's sort of purpose and process is here as an individual, you know, but it's not having that be a hard boundary. Right. And that, yeah, I mean, it's, we have created the, the entire basis of this system is trying to move away from discomfort and and motivated through fear you know and and whatever happened to our consciousness to get us into this space where we are just constantly not we're trying to not feel these things right we we didn't used to do this like uh, human beings hundreds of thousands of years ago or however long did not have this kind of relationship with existence with reality right and how do we come 
out of it? How do we, you know, extract ourselves from these like colonial mental structures is to, in my books, come into these practices of, of practicing gratitude. If we, you know, do this enough times, eventually you realize like, okay, I don't have to control the outside world. I have enough inner strength that I can surrender and I can start being receptive to this moment. Mm-hmm. And, and much like shame that we talked about the last episode, which is like how easy it is to to lead with compassion, gratitude, and blessing when you feel good, but when you are kind of charged with the less pleasant experiences, it's hard yeah. to, it, it's it's more challenging to. It is, think of and that. it's it's like if we see this as. Uh, the purpose of being here is to widen our circles of compassion, right? Is to increase our heart space, is to increase these internal alignment muscles, you know, and, and see that as like what everything is calling us to do. I mean, yeah, we're always going to encounter situations where like, oh God, I can't love you. I can't say yes to you. I can't, I can't be, you know, receptive to you. And, you know, but if we if we dedicate ourselves to this as a practice, the practice of awakening, which is what it is, you know, is is we will not balk at that moment or that person, you know, and go, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm I'm not going to go there. Over time, we go, wow, that's so exciting that here's a space where I get to be challenged to be even more loving towards something that I don't understand, right? And I mean, life can be this amazing journey of of constantly saying wow like I get to have more love in my life like how amazing is this you know that I now I get to learn how to love this person right Mm -hmm. and and extracting and always you know I, I feel that it is important to acknowledge that we are not loving behaviors. We are not saying that mm-hmm. it is okay for someone to be doing not okay things. And we are complex enough beings that we can actually extract those things, the person from the behavior, you know, the action from the individual. And and like that, I think too, you look at our prison industrial complex, whatever people call it, you know, is like we we look at the person doing the action and we condemn the person as just like irredeemably bad, totally. right? And like that's, that is a really, that's something we have to look at as a organizational society, you know, is to go, look, we're doing that all the time, right? We're confusing people's right to, I don't know, be a human being with like what they're doing in the world as like bad stuff and mixing it all up mm-hmm. together and not being able to extract the two, Right. Well, it's like cancel culture too, that it's like we do that in so many ways that it's like, if you do anything I don't agree with, you're done. Yeah. Yeah. Dead to me. And it really, I mean, we know that that is a function of the limbic system of the central mammalian brain structures. You know, it thinks in black and white. It just doesn't like complexity. And we actually have to practice complexity. We have to com- practice a higher level. We, we have these beautiful, amazing brains that are totally capable of thinking like, you know, really complex, ambiguous, uh, unsolvable things, you know, like the question of uh, do we have will or not? You know, what happens after death? Like that's, we're made for those questions to to sit with and not be okay with not answering them, right? And And in order to, I think, live well as a human being, we have to 
practice being comfortable with that, like not thinking in, in polar terms, right? Not putting things in good and bad sort of, I don't know, sections and making everything simple like that. It's not simple. Nothing's, I mean, it's not that simple, right? If you you take a person uh, who has done some atrocious thing, I mean, this, you know, this, I, I don't like this woman, Candace Owens. Did you see that video? Oh, God, um, she's yes. a black woman. Did oh, you watch I, that? Yeah, I did. I, I don't like her. I like, I really <laughs> appreciate her as a human being and that she's supposed to be here, but like, oh my God, you know, and just this characterization of George Floyd and going, okay, so here's this guy and he was a criminal and he's so nasty and blah, 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 you know, I mean, at what point did he become a criminal? And what happened to him when he was five, six, seven? Mm-hmm. You know, like, so he started doing criminal activity at what age, you know? And, and like, we love our brains when we are not using our higher intellectual, like, paradoxical centers. You know, we love to just go, nope, bad person, you know, write him off, right? And and that it's convenient, it's simple. Mm-hmm. And I think when we are trying to live again, to come back to this idea that we're all living in like way too large of a space and not focusing on like what's local and small and immediate for us, that we have to think in black and white sometimes. It's 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 too complex to be, you know, going, oh, this person, I don't know if they're good or bad. And we sit in this like sort of gray zone, right? And I mean, when she's putting that forward as like this, somehow this person deserved what came to them because they were just a bad person, you know? And it's like, ooh, you are, I mean, no surprise that you are so affiliated with Donald Trump, you know, who's like, he's, he's not, he's not, I don't think he's capable of complex thinking, you know, and, and entertaining, but we are all, we're all guilty of it and different circumstances in our life, right? Right. Well, I think that it it goes back to always looking out and not looking in where it's like, what are other people doing or not doing? And instead of what I'm not doing or am doing, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I mean, uh, Jonathan Haidt's book on the righteous mind is really amazing read and really important. I think for this time in our civilization, you know, is that it's, I think one of the things that I see that needs to be decolonized from our minds is this feeling, this sense of righteousness, that somehow we are better or we know better or that somebody else is lower than us, you know? And I mean, even in saying, I don't I don't like Candace Owens as like a human being, I find her rather, her, her behaviors is rather reprehensible, but I don't think that she's, you know, she shouldn't be here or she shouldn't have a voice or that she's somehow like a person that... I don't know, should be just written off, right? Mm-hmm. We, our righteous minds, again, exist, you know, those those behaviors exist in this limbic system, which also is this storing place of all our trauma, right? And and we, I think that colonizing society was a deeply traumatized society and just didn't want to deal with its trauma and so went into righteousness, which was, was white supremacy and saying, okay, everything is here and it's below us and we get to use it and, you know, and we we need to undo that, like really look at our own righteousness, which is always pausing to say, what am I accusing this other person of? Am I doing the same thing? And a hundred percent of the time, you're going to find the answer yes. Like a hundred percent if you're accusing somebody else of doing it, right? And then seeing that as an opportunity to cultivate compassion and connection, not saying that the behavior is okay. You still say no, you know, but you don't 
judge and hate that person and then separate from them, you know, and create this intense further polarization. There's a lot of topics. <laughs> the Knowing is an IntelliKey production and was recorded and produced on the traditional unceded territory of the Northern Sequipmic people. Music, editing, and production by Brent Morton at Bell Tower Audio. May our hearts and minds remain open. May we meet this day with equanimity and compassion. And may we remember our belonging to this earth, to each other, and to all that is. <laughs>